Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. All right, thank you, Dave. We will uh, now join Phil Napoli. Prof- welcome, I should say, Professor of Public Policy at Duke, author of Social Media and the Public Interest, Media Regulation in the Disinformation Age, and talk about it. And I've asked you, the audience, to text in to 504-260-1870. Um, where do you get your news? What, what do you find to be true? What do you find not to be true? Or where do you find your news? Phil, good morning. How are you? Thanks for taking the time with us. I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. You know, I, I have a hard time whenever we talk about this because it seems to enter into the philosophical of what is absolute truth. Um, let, let's talk about where most people do get their news these days and, and where that news comes from, who determines when it comes to the, the what gets presented as news, what that content is. Sure, sure. And I think the the you know the short answer is it it really depends. It, we're seeing huge variations by age. Um, increasingly, young people are citing TikTok um, as a as a primary source of news. Um, older folks still are still relying quite heavily on you know. Believe it or not, when you actually do a a general survey of the most uh, you know widely relied upon source of news, local TV news still comes out number one. But that's a reflection of sort of our aging population, uh, and you know, but it, you know, things like your NBC nightly news, your nightly network newscast, those skew very, very old. Same as we're seeing that with the uh, with the cable news networks. Uh, so huge, huge generational variations in where in where people get their news. So when it comes to uh, news gathering organizations, when it comes to networks. You would think they have uh, a series of checks and balances to make sure that what they're presenting is true. You hope that it's unbiased. I don't know that that's not always that that's always the case. But when it comes to social media and alternative sources for people that are younger, are there what are those sources like TikTok and so forth? And are there any checks and balances to make sure that the content is accurate, self-policing or otherwise? Right. No, that's a, that's a great question. And, and, and the individual platforms do have uh, – well, might, we might have to take X or Twitter out of the equation here. They, they, they have scaled back. But actually, they all are. They're actually all in the past year or two beginning to scale back how aggressively um, they police posts for um, misinformation, disinformation, hate speech, et cetera. Um, a lot of what they're saying is it's that it's uh, – 
you know, resource intensive and the, and the economics for these platforms has, has, has gone downhill over the past couple of years. Uh, but you also hear behind the scenes that, you know, um, there's a certain sense of we're damned if we do, damned if we don't, if we don't. And, uh, and they've become a bit, you know, sort of frustrated with the process of even trying to to police in a lot of these areas. And that's what uh, I'm so it's not a good time for I'm, the yeah, for the relying on the platforms. I'm sorry, Let, let's if we can maybe start with misinformation and disinformation, the differences. Sure, sure. So misinformation is typically used in reference to uh false news or information that's shared without awareness of its falsity. Disinformation is intentionality. Disinformation is intentional falsity shared uh, intentionally with the goal of misleading. Uh, so what that means is you might be the recipient of some disinformation, and if you are not aware that it is, you will share it, and now you have become a disseminator of misinformation. I can remember, I don't know if you and I had this conversation or not, but but in high school, a football coach uh, reading something, and he said that the West Bank area was bubbling with excitement. And I knew this man, and I said, Coach, did you really say? He said, no, I didn't say that. And that was a local, small-time football, high school football publication. And the only reason I bring that up is I think any of us that have had experience with stories that have been written up in a newspaper and, and in our, from our neighborhood and we see the way it was presented, it's like, well, that's not really what happened. Um, is there any such thing as absolute truth? Are human beings capable of, of absolutely, totally reporting something factually 100%? That is a deep question. Yeah, I mean, that's why I meant philosophical because it does yeah. it yeah, does it get really philosophical, is. really. Yes, I mean, we all have our our, our own biases and, and and preconceived notions that that color to some degree how we uh, perceive things. Uh, but yet, that has been you know for a long part of journalism's history, not not all of it at all, not even its origins, and and certain and less so now, obviously. Um, but you know, this notion of objectivity was a professional norm that journalists would. Uh, aspire to to try to put their you know particular biases aside um, you know and there's you know people would argue that they probably did, never did a great job of it but I think the question now is is it you know is it is it not something to aspire to anymore I'd rather personally see our our news organizations aspire to it and and come up short than abandon aspiring to it and and a lot of them have, are, are starting to take that route which is abandoning. Uh, aspiring to, to 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 objectivity. Historically, going back to the Hearst days and yellow journalism, um, it's hard to let the truth get in the way of a good story, right? Because ultimately, you want to sell papers, you want people to watch, you want people to listen, etc. Absolutely right, and and, and you know we've well, there's one thing we've learned from you know the the treasure troves of data that you know social media based news consumption has has told us is that in fact yes it's um, you know stories that are more inflammatory stories that have more opinion than fact etc um, you know do tend to perform better on average in terms of attracting readers local news as you said is um I guess the closest you get to truth. Um, it, traditionally, yes. There's some troubling trends on on that front. Um, we're starting to see the rise. The term that gets used uh, is pink slime local news networks. Uh, we're seeing uh, networks of news sites pop up that 
look like they're actual news sites, uh, but in fact are often run by political action committees or political campaigns or, or, or you know, um, other types of, of entities that we would not normally think of as, as, as news organizations. But here's what I was getting uh, at. With a network newscast, for example, um, they can present something, and then maybe people in Kansas think it's true, people in Oklahoma know it's not, people in Michigan feel some other way. But with local, I, I would think there's more responsibility because you're dealing with a smaller population and, and more people would know what's true and what's not and what's being slanted and what isn't. Oh, I got Yeah, in terms of people having more direct experience yes. with what is being reported, they can more easily sort of look out their window and, and confirm for themselves. Correct. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And, and one of the things we find when we do research on how people inform themselves locally is you know, they're actually, you know, they can rely on, and people mention this quite a bit, you know, they rely on their neighbors, they, they you know, who they talk to at the coffee shop. So there's still interpersonal networks that matter. Um, we actually find one of the key things that people use to stay informed locally uh, are the neighborhood listservs, that those are highly relied upon uh, by, by, by local communities these days. And I don't mean to get anybody mad here. I don't mean to venture off into politics, but but when it comes to the actual sources themselves and the 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 places from which news gathering organizations get their news, and I'm going to go to January 6th, the January 6th, um, it was not a tour of the Capitol. I don't think it was a uh, an inside job. You can pick and choose selective video. What I watched, as far as I'm concerned, what I saw with my own eyes, was an attempt to overthrow the government. Now, I'm sure people are going to start screaming at their radios. Some people will, and some are going to start um, saying it was this, it was that, it was the other thing. But I saw Pete Gallows. I saw people chanting, hang Mike Pence. I saw what Mike Pence had to say about it. There are people that deny that, but there are people that are sources for news that are kind of spinning the events of that day themselves. And I don't mean to make that just the the focus of all of this, but just to call it out as an example. And that, Phil, to me, is problematic when the sources themselves that should be the people that deal in facts choose not to deal in facts. That, yeah, we there is a, a thriving market for that, unfortunately. Uh, absolutely the case. And again, we have a, you know, our how we define news and how we define journalism is quite broad and it has incredibly powerful first amendment protections. I mean, we've seen, you know, you know, as we saw with the um, defamation case, there are instances in which, you know, disseminating falsity can have at least financial consequences. Um, but it's not a, our, our system is meant to really protect falsity uh, under the assumption that if if it's not protected, then then it will uh, legitimate speech will get chilled. And that goes to the philosophical part of it. Well, and again, talking about freedom of speech, at some point, it seems like the line between and I'll just use this as as an analogy, the line between responsibility and the blame game has gotten blurred, where now it seems as though if you hold somebody responsible for something, you're playing the blame game. Well, no, I'm not playing the blame game, but, you did something you shouldn't have done, and you're responsible for it. And it seems like the same thing is happening sometimes when it comes to um, veracity and reporting and telling the truth. And, well, if I'm not, if you try to tell me that I can't publish this lie or that I can't uh, somehow electronically um, pass this lie forward, then somehow you're limiting my freedom of speech. Accurate or not? 
Yes, in fact, there's there's some interesting lawsuits happening right now uh, dealing with that very issue right? uh, in terms of some states, in fact, wanting to curtail even the pl- digital platform's ability to filter and moderate content based on, on truth or, or falsity, to make them what we would call common carriers, that it would be essentially um, anything goes, which essentially, if you're wondering, yes, does you know, essentially take whatever First Amendment rights that the platforms have uh, away from them to some degree. This is a Rubik's Cube, man. I'm going to tell you what, uh, we're going to continue our conversation. We come back talking to Phil Napoli, professor of public policy at Duke, author of Social Media and the Public Interest, Media Regulation in the Disinformation Age. I want to talk about that book as well when we return. 921 now. Tommy Tucker back in a flash, WWL. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. 926, having an interesting conversation with Phil Napoli, professor of public policy at Duke, author of Social Media and the Public Interest, Media Regulation in the Disinformation Age. And, and we're talking about how, where do you get your news and how do you know what's true and what's not, particularly when some of the what are supposed to be reputable sources have their own version of the truth and try to pass that along as news. Is that uncharted territory uh, historically, Phil, that we're entering now and you know, and, and, and scratch your head. There are people that still think, believe it or not, suddenly that the earth is flat and that it's all a conspiracy. Where do conspiracy theories fit into this, especially when some people that are supposed to be maybe in, in, in reputable sources for different things kind of feed that? Sure. No, I mean, we're not. I mean, we're in uncharted territory from the standpoint of the speed and reach that of distribution that conspiracy theories can have um that that's uh, you know you, you had to you used to have to kind of go find them mm-hmm. uh you used to have to go down some rabbit holes to find them but um they can find you now uh, and that's and that's just the nature of how our media ecosystem has changed i mean our social media platforms that we rely on that's their function their function is to go find stuff that it thinks might be of interest to us and put them in front of us. And if we express an interest, then its job is to go find more things like that. Uh, and that's just, that's just how they, how, how they operate. So that, you know, so there's that process at work that was not really there before. We all remember, you know, the days when, or not all of us, uh, those of us of a certain age, <laughs> when uh, you had to, you know, you had to buy a supermarket tabloid, you know, the weekly world news yes, or exactly. any of those kind of things. Yeah, get stuck in line at the that. grocery store, right? You had to yep. get stuck in uh, line at the grocery store to, to, when the line's taking a long time. It's like, really? 
aliens came from uh, Philadelphia well, and then went to uh, Oregon. Really, I didn't know. Right, but now it just it just knocks on your door, right? Yeah, exactly right. Well said. Uh, speaking of certain age, are certain age groups more likely to fall for dis- disinformation, or can it happen to anybody? It can happen to anybody. We do unfortunately see our elderly population uh, being a bit more susceptible, um, and that's pro- you know problematic for a whole host of reasons. Because a lot of times, too, when we talk about how to tackle this, we hear discussion of things like you know putting media literacy programs in. In, in elementary school, uh, that's great, and that that can help. Um, but I, we need to be targeting our, our elderly population, um, especially because, as we know, they are also the population that votes in the in the greatest uh, proportions. See, uh, and, so and it's, it's good. I'm sorry. Oh, as you say, so it's not, you know it's particularly dangerous to have our population that's most politically active also be a population that's that's more susceptible to mis- and disinformation. Well, you're reading ahead because I was going to ask you next about media literacy education, and that's something you can talk about that, if you will, what states are trying to do. But I can also see where some people would say, ah, you're trying to condition the kids to believe what you want them to believe. Talk about what media literacy education is and about the concern I brought up just now. Not that I'm concerned that anybody's being indoctrinated, but some people would look at it that way. Sure, and and the good news here is that you know I think we have three states so far that have passed uh, legislation that puts uh, that makes media literacy education mandatory in, in K through 12. And but there's many other states that are have, that have proposed legislation where we may see something happen. Uh, and, and we've done some research on it. And in some of the states, it does get a bit politicized. Um, but not in, in many other states, though, it's, it's, it's actually quite bipartisan because it tends to really focus on skill sets, training folks to navigate, uh, especially the digital space. We often hear the term digital literacy get used to as a synonym for 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 media literacy, um, you know, in terms of, of how to use search engines, in terms of how to uh, you know, teaching people. You know how algorithms work in the most basic sense, so that people can understand. This is why this isn't getting put in front of you. This is what happens when you click on something or like something or share something. You know, there's you know, understanding the the ripple effects that those actions have. That's a big part of it. And and there, uh, are, yeah. go ahead. No, I didn't go mean. Ahead. Go ahead, please keep no, going. No, you go ahead. Uh, no, I was no, going to say that um, that it, it's um unfortunate that sometimes for political gain people don't want the truth told they don't want the other side out there so as a result they try to vilify the other side and make it seem as though ah you're indoctrinating our kids when in fact yeah you understand what i'm saying and that even goes and this this phil is what has me sometimes dizzy and talking to myself and chasing my tail when i have these conversations with you because if you go back even to you know, the history we were taught as kids in school, well, that's not exactly the way it played out, right? No, that's absolutely true. Uh, and, and, and yes, you know, we're seeing today, you know, for as one example, right, fact-checking organizations, which are adhering as close to the notion of objectivity and truth in journalism as you could hope for, uh, get attacked for being partisan. Um, you know, the, you know, a, a fact checker. Uh, I work with a number of them. You know, that's the you know they they don't see any room for partisanship in the process of mm-hmm. fact checking. 
but uh, you know, it, it, it's it's unfortunate when and when they get attacked as such because then it undermines trust that people have in fact checkers. And we need we need these kind of institutions to rely on because the process of trying to do all this yourself, and this is the danger with media literacy, this idea that we sort of offload on us all of the responsibility to navigate this environment. Um, a study just came out a week or two ago that showed that when individuals use search engines to verify a false claim, to do their own research, we hear that a lot, do your own research. Well, guess what? When you do your own research, you're actually 20% more likely to end up believing the false claim. Wait, say that again, (laughs) because I think that's a pretty notable thing. Yes, it is. Uh, Basically, when people do their own research online to try to verify the the truth or falsity of a claim, uh, they're actually more likely rather than less likely to end up believing a false claim. Why is Uh, that? Why is that? Exactly. Because of the fact that, first of all, folks who are disseminating falsities are also working to try to game social media, I mean, uh, search platforms. Manipulate the algorithms? Absolutely. And a lot of times when people are doing the research, they're using the terms that they've heard in the false claims. And those terms, what, you know, in terms of what they produce as the most prominent, the the highest ranked search returns are things that validate that false claim. Uh, And so it, you know, the, you know, the search engines are not necessarily well equipped uh, and it, it is some part of it is how people use those search engines. It's a lot depends on the word choice you use uh, and when you search these things out, because if you use certain loaded terms, it's going to generate the, the, the falsity first. And unfortunately, people tend to read, the you know, click on the top one, two or three things that a search engine returns and don't tend to dive too much deeper. The other thing I, I think that can be problematic is is I have people sometimes send me sources and, and, and so and I'll put that in quotation mark stories from sources, but it's just a web page and anybody can have one of those, right? Absolutely, and and this is this is a key part. Of, this is where again I'm going to keep harping on this that there are you know that there are these resources out there that people should be relying upon. There are organizations like NewsGuard that's out there trying to evaluate the reliability of sources. I mean, it, it is nothing. I mean, I could go online and, and start a, a Facebook account and declare myself a news organization, right. and, that, and, and Facebook will take that label. Napoli News. Uh, you you could be NapoliNewsRight.com, yeah. right, and, and you could put anything up there, and then somebody can send me a story. Well, that's what they said at NapoliNews.com, right? Absolutely right. And that's when we look at, for example, the kind of things that young people are relying upon uh, on TikTok, it is the sort of individual's who are taking it upon themselves to be news and commentator disseminators. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that, again, for the younger person, you know, scrolling through their TikTok feed, you know, for them, the difference between that and, you know, an NPR or, or, or PBS is, is not that meaningful. And that brings us back to never let the truth get in the way of a good story. And people that are posting stuff to TikTok, they're trying to get what? Clicks, right? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, so how, before we let you go, Phil, and I, I just got to ask you on a personal note, do you find yourself chasing your tail when you start thinking about this and researching this and and just pulling your hair out? Because it, it just seems like a, you, you talk about a, a black hole. You're just going down a black hole on us. Yeah, and what you find is every, you know, every, there's no, all the solution paths you seem to potentially be able to follow, um, 
are not viable that's for it. one reason that's or what another. I'm there you go. And that's what's very frustrating. So how do you, uh, before we do let you go, some parting words Hi, for people that are trying to find the truth or as close as you can get to it, and even that gets clouded because when you go to organizations that fact check, legitimate organizations, you know, a lot of candidates, a lot of people deal in partial truths where, well, that is technically true, however, which makes it, and that's one thing I found having this job for the last however many years, that'll drive you crazy as well because it's hard to make a blanket statement. Everybody wants things condensed into a simple statement, but when it comes to policy, uh, governmental policy, it's not simple at all, and there are no simple right. solutions to complex problems. How do you even begin to sort fact from fiction? Yeah, that is that is a tough question. I don't know if I have uh, the answer to that. Um, you know, you have to. First of all, I think we go back to what we were just talking about before, which is there is a reason why certain news organizations, uh, you know, there's there's some you know brand, so to speak, that have brand value, brand lo- loyalty, et cetera, for for reasons. And I find, you know, if you if, if you've never heard of a source. And you can't find that same story on any of you know two or three other you know better known legitimate news sources. That's a red flag, okay? If 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 you know if you go to a site like NewsGuard and they either don't even mention the the, the source or it's been rated poorly, um, those are red flags. So there are there are tools out there that we can that we can use to try to help zero in a bit on the reliable versus the less reliable. And the only caution I would put there is sometimes you'll find something quoted three, four times, and you might think that there are four sources reporting this, when in fact it all goes back to the aforementioned NapoliNews.com, right, where, well, yep. these aren't different news organizations. This is just the same thing from the original source, which may or may not be true, that's just been passed along. Yep, there's all sorts of ways to... To, to disguise and, and manipulate, you know, disguise the source and manipulate news consumers, unfortunately, these days. Phil, I'm going to go pull what little hair I have left in my head out. <laughs> I don't blame you. Thank you. Phil Napoli, professor of public policy at Duke, author of Social Media, Public Interest, Media Reputation, and the Disinformation Age. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 